It's that time of the week again. You are about to participate in a great adventure. It's that time when the latest episode of Digital Kill the Radio Star drops. Drop? What the hell do you think you're doing? It's time to waste another hour or so with David and Chris. Oh my God! As they spout out more of their worthless music knowledge. I wouldn't do that if I were you. It's time to hear them discuss the music of their youth. It's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. As well as the music of today. Excuse me while I whip this out. So kick back, relax, and have some fun with David and Chris. Who are those guys? Digital Kill the Radio Star starts. Come on, quit stalling! Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Digital Kill the Radio Star. This is David. Uh, coming to you uh, on remote from New Orleans, Louisiana, in the Hilton Riverside Hotel. Yeah. Uh, just got back from uh, the Noel Gallagher concert, and uh, we're going to get into that uh, shortly with a uh, kind of rapid reaction review. Uh, we'll start doing that whenever me or Chris go to shows, and we're going to re- re- record a quick episode with our initial reaction. Uh, I do want to tell everybody to follow us on Twitter at Digital Killed on Instagram and subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud and if you get a chance leave us a review on Facebook or iTunes and uh, we'll put something in the mail to you make it worth your time so uh, Chris is not with me this week like I said I'm in New Orleans and uh, originally had tickets with an old college friend of mine and he had to uh, back out for family reasons and so I reached out to uh, my old buddy Kyle from a pharmacy school. He's a big music nut like all of us. And so he uh, uh, joined me uh, for the concert. So uh, without further ado, my buddy Kyle Null. Kyle, how are you? Great. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> um, Kyle, so if you listen to our podcast, I know you do, whenever we have somebody on, we always ask them the same two questions. What's your earliest memory of music and who was the first artist or band that basically got you hooked for life oh gosh I'm, I'm a little embarrassed to answer this so my earliest memory of music when I first felt music move me it was Bon Jovi and I think it was Living on a Prayer maybe I don't know I, I don't know if it was Living on a Prayer or I think Bad Medicine came later I think it was Living on a Prayer yeah Bad Medicine was on the New Jersey album yeah yeah yeah. so it was Slippery When Wet right All right. so that was my first one and um, I don't know there was just something about it like when I heard it I knew that I needed to listen to that right. whatever that was at the time that's what I needed to listen right. to and as it turned out that was 80's rock but I didn't know it when I was seven years old I just knew that I loved it right I knew that I saw it on MTV I knew that I saw him flashing his you know his, his white grin and I just needed to do that, right? 
And at that point, I've been playing guitar for 25 years. And I didn't know that that was what I wanted to do. I didn't know Richard Sambora was, was the person I needed to emulate or whatever, which turned out being Slash later. But um, but yeah, it was Bon Jovi. That was that's the that's my answer. That was my first CD. I think I purchased, and maybe even I, I probably had the tape and the CD of that one because it was a weird transition, right? Mm-hmm. What was your second question? Who's the band or artist that just got you hooked into music for for good? Guns and Roses. Yeah. Man, when I saw Paradise City the video, and I saw Axel doing his little swagger, and I saw Slash. I mean, just. You know, they, they filmed that in California right before they opened for Aerosmith. So that's where that video came from when he's got the, the white leather jacket on. And, in the stadium it, outside. Yeah, in the stadium and part of the video, they're not playing in front of anybody. And the rest of it, they're playing in front of, like, tons of people. Right. That was when they opened for Aerosmith. If you read Slash's biography, there was a, there was a really um, tumultuous time, which I, I guess Guns N' Roses, if you, if you talk about GNR, everything was tumultuous. I mean, everything just, everything just kind of... Um, Almost didn't happen, but when it did happen, man, they knocked it out of the park. So that was, I think that was my band. That was the moment I knew I needed to pick up guitar. Um, and and I've, I've really been with it ever since then. So are you, an, are you a Use Your Illusion fan? Mm. I'm an everything fan, first of all. I love everything GNR. Including but Chinese Democracy? I, you know what, man, when I bought that, I bought it at Best Buy for $5 because they couldn't get rid of it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it was in a big bin. Well, because they distributed it exclusively through Best Buy. And so Best Buy agreed to buy like a million units. And every time I went Best Buy for a couple of years, just, <laughs> there's plenty of Chinese. I just feel there. like two people shook hands and made the worst deal ever. I like Chinese democracy. Axel sounds like a different person. You listen to him on Spaghetti Incidents, nineteen ninety Spaghetti Incidents, nineteen ninety five, and you listen to him twenty years later or fifteen years later, whatever it was, he's a different person. Even though they were recording for those twenty years, he's just a different person. I still like the album though. It has its moments. Mm-hmm. Um, Shackler's Revenge, the song Chinese Democracy, I love. Um, I love Madagascar. I love Street of Dreams. Street of Dreams should have been on Use Your Illusion. All right. Now, wasn't Street of Dreams originally called The Blues? I don't know. I don't know. I forget. I think... Maybe it was track six or seven. I think they had recorded a lot of it for after the Illusion albums. I think it was initially called The Blues. Mm -hmm. uh, That sounds right, yeah. Yeah, so I'm... I mean, I love Appetite, but I'm one of the few people... I enjoy the Illusion albums more than I do... Appetite. Um, oh yeah, me too. Yeah. Especially uh, the epics. It's hard to beat Estranged, Coma. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the great thing about seeing them on this reunion tour was they played... They killed it. They killed it. The For only, three hours and 20 minutes, they killed it. Pedal to the metal. Didn't let up. One of the things, the, the only one, the only regrets I have about the show that I saw, I wanted to hear them play Locomotive. Which they hardly ever. Play they never anyway. play that. Yeah, Slash Slash has talked about that, and it's so hard, like just rhythm wise, because it's such a consistent. It's so hard for him to keep that up for nine minutes. You know, um, I love that song, man. One if, of my favorites. If you get a chance, go on YouTube. They did it at Soundcheck with Jeff Beck. Yeah, and so it, that was France, Paris, yeah, France, yeah. and he Jeff Beck had to back out because he had tinnitus. Right, he couldn't do it. Right, that was the same. They did Aerosmith. Uh, they did uh, um, 
um, what's the song they did on um, Live? Mama Ken? Yeah. Mama Ken with Aerosmith. They did one other song with Aerosmith that, that show as well. So I don't know if you read it this week or not. It was on, I think, Blabbermouth. Um, their manager said that they had Izzy at a sound check on this tour. Yeah. And he walked away. Yeah. Yeah. He Because he said they wouldn't share the loot. Right. That was his exact words. They would not share the loot. For $5, what's Izzy's real name? Ooh, uh, Jeff. Jeffrey Dean Isbell. That's Very right. Good. Good. <laughs> uh, I get five bucks. <laughs> Saul. I mean, uh, Slash. I just gave it away. Uh, no, I, no, I knew it. <laughs> I knew it before you said it. He's my cousin. I know Bill Bailey. <laughs> Actually, yeah, there's Bill Bailey, William Bailey. He has several names that he has gone by. I've always said, after reading several books, I read Duff's book, mm-hmm. and then I read a book called Appetite for Destruction mm-hmm. that was not only about that album, it was about the band in general. You don't have Izzy. You, they never ha- would have had the success they had. Izzy is that constant force. You know, the rhythm is so underappreciated. Like, when I, I played guitar for 25 years, and I'm not a rhythm player, I cannot keep the rhythm that someone like Izzy, someone like Stones, um, God, what's his name? I'm pretty, Ron Wood. Ron, I, I just can't do it. I just don't have that flavor that they can add to it. You know, you get a Gibson three thirty five, and you have that just that, that just little strum that they've got that keeps the band going. It's like it's like bass, but plus a little bit. You know, I just don't have that. But yes, that is a key part of GNR's sound. You know, he was largely responsible for kind of their their not only their sound, their look, their attitude. Um, you know, there's the famous story where they were opening for Aerosmith, and it's when Aerosmith was stone cold sober. You know, they, they there was no booze or drugs allowed backstage, and they meet him for the first time. And I think Joe Perry looked at Izzy and was like, "He used to be my dope dealer," <laughs> you know, or something like that. And um, what I thought found was interesting about Appetite Destruction after reading that book. Basically, every song on that album is a true story. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, which is very. <laughs> they had a very exciting life, but anyway, yeah, I'm I'm a huge uh, GNR fan. Who are some of the other bands that are that are your favorites? I know you're wearing a Pink Floyd. God, shirt. Pink we, Floyd. Yeah, I love they're... Pink Floyd. I mean, G- so bon- I mentioned Bon Jovi at the beginning. Bon Jovi was a. I don't know what it was about them. Living on a prayer, wanted dead or alive. Like there was just something magical it was about easy, that. It you know? was easy to get into. Yeah, absolutely. But so right after that, it was GNR, and I and I had a moment where I thought like you know maybe I mean this is like my nine year old self telling me that like well GNR is a bad influence because they curse you know right. <laughs> or because you know it right around the time Tipper Gore was really pushing towards having explicit lyrics put it put on the album covers and so you could actually go into Sound Shop or Sound City or whatever the thing was called back in the late eighties, go into the CD shop and you could find GNR lies or Appetite with the explicit lyrics printed on there. And that means I couldn't buy it because I was 10, 11 years old or whatever. But I also found some that didn't have it. Like in the same, you know, kind of like when you go into and you find a sale item for $9.99, but the regular is $14.99. Right. Well, you go up to the counter and you get it for $9.99. So I would flip through there and get the ones without the explicit lyrics so I could walk up to the counter and buy it. You know, so I mean, so GNR was a huge influence on me. They they made me want to pick up guitars. Flash is the reason why I have a Gibson Les Paul to this day. I have the same one I had when I was 13 years old. 
So I would say, I mean, of course, I got into Ozzy. I got into Metallica. I mean, this is all like late 90s, early, uh, I'm sorry, late 80s, early 90s stuff. And somewhere along the way, like Pink Floyd just kind of crept into my life and took it over. <laughs> and so now a lot of a lot of what I base this on is like, well, I know what Comfortably Numb sounds like. What is this new song <laughs> that I'm listening to? And does it compare to Comfortably Numb? Does it compare to The Wall? You know, to have an epic, to me, a masterpiece of an album, The Wall. Can your album compare to that? You know, and I use that as a comparison. So Pink Floyd is a huge, huge influence on my life. And I've tried to, I've tried to expand out from there, but i got to be honest, it's been tough. It's tough for me to listen to new bands or even old bands and, and not compare them to some somebody like Pink Floyd. The thing that's so fascinating to me about Pink Floyd, I, I know exactly what you, where you're coming from. I had probably uh, a year of my life in college where that's all we listened to. And, uh, the two guys I lived with, you know, we were just broke college students. And we basically judged making it in life. Could we go to the CD store and buy that Shine On box set? <laughs> you know, I love that box set, man. It, it was like it has nudity. It has postcards. <laughs> you know, and we were just like, man, if we ever get enough money where we can afford one hundred twenty dollars to yeah. buy a box set, like we like we're done. Mm-hmm. And the the thing about Pink Floyd with me is, I list, I go through spurts with them because when I listen to them, I go all in. Mm-hmm. Like I cannot. The Wall, Animals, Dark Side of the Moon, Wish You Were Here, those four albums, I cannot put, like, put them in and listen to one song. Mm-hmm. I have to listen no. to everything. Whole thing. And, and to some extent with metal. I'm like that with metal. Don't like the final cut. Don't like Momentary Lapse of Reason. I love Division Bell. Yeah. But they, they found their voice with... They, they found their post-Roger Waters voice with Division Bell. Yeah. But I love... So dark. So if you look in my, I've got like a man cave area, and if you were to be in my man cave, you would see an original 1973 Dark Side of the Moon vinyl on the wall. You would see an original 1970, did I say 73, 75 Wish You Were Here. You'd find an original 1977 Animals. Those are the three vinyls that are sitting across my wall. And the only reason I don't have the wall on the wall is because I've got it in my in my record player. The seventies defined Pink Floyd for me. Man, it was so incredible. I love Obscure by Clouds, but it was just right before we got to Dark Side of the Moon. You just can't beat that, you know? Well they were really trying to find themselves before Dark Side of the Moon. That I mean they were, Echoes. Yeah. You you talked you see band interviews and they'll say the song Echoes was was where they found themselves. If you listen to everything prior to that, it was really experimental and and even in the Sid Barrett, you know, time or whatever, it was very British pop psychedelic stuff. But when you got to the 23 minute 23 minute epic of Echoes, that was when they found their voice. Echoes is as epic as it gets, especially when it kicks in at the end. Tell you how big of Pink Floyd fans I was in college. We used to judge plane trips by how many times we could listen to Echoes. <laughs> so it's like, what, 23 minutes? 23 minutes, yeah. Something like that. So if it was an hour and a half flight, you know, seven Echoes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
I love on that live at Royal Albert Hall mm-hmm. DVD when they play Echoes and he's got Rick Wright in the band. Yeah. And you're just like, how are these people sitting? Like, and not losing, uh, losing their mind, but uh, I'm going to have you on in the future and we're going to do nothing but a Pink Floyd episode. Yes, I've been looking so, forward to that. Uh, all right, so we got the Floyd. That felt like the Pink Floyd episode. <laughs> oh, the, man, that's not even scratching the surface. <laughs> so we have Pink Floyd, Guns N' Roses, Bon Jovi. Give me two other bands that, that are real big. God, man, I mean, I've got it. So Metallica is definitely up there. You know, we were talking about this earlier tonight. Like something happened when Nirvana came on the scene, and just like it either ruined every, <laughs> it ruined everything for for some of us, and then it created a whole new world for the rest of us. It was the best of times and the worst of times. It, God, yeah. What was that, Charles Dickens? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, so yeah, I would say Metallica was a huge influence. So. The Black Album was right around... The, I was 11 years old when the Black Album came out. And it was just unreal. I mean, to have you know to have that many songs that were just that epic was just incredible. And then when you get into that, right, right around the same time, MTV was playing One, the video for One, which was incredible. Gave me nightmares. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I had a buddy who had... He had a speaker set up in his room. And he had him positioned towards his bed, kind of in a triangle set up and we would lay there and just listen to the double bass that hit when that, that when that solo hit on that on one and it just took you into another place you know so I mean I would have to say Metallica and even though I don't listen to him much anymore Ozzy that was no more te- I, so you know, we were talking about this earlier 1991 was the year of music and I don't know if I don't remember if no more tears was 91 or 92 it but it was right in there it was right in there and so, like, to have my mom coming home and no more tears come out around that time when everything else was hitting, the illusions, the black album, Hot Tongue Baby, God, Bush I mean, Sex Magic. Uh, so that was just an, that was an amazing time to be alive. And the thing is, I wish I had, I wish I had respected it the way I should have because now that just doesn't happen. Mm-mm. You don't have that. You you watch the Grammys now and you're like. What are they doing? You know, like what are they doing with music? This should be precious, and they're just ruining it. You know, so I, I would say Ozzy, Metallica, and Ozzy are my other two that you asked for. So you're talking about the one video. <clears throat> I'm, I'm about to be 42, so I'm a little bit older, mm-hmm. a little bit older than you. But um, there used to be a show that came on TBS at night called Night Tracks. I think it was called. Mm-hmm. And it basically from like 10 o'clock at night to like 5 in the morning is nothing but videos. And so I would always, back then, you know, I'd put like one of those 6R VHS tapes in. And I'd record it every weekend, you know, and then watch them. Well, one night I was watching it live. And this would have been in probably 88, so I was like 12. And they're like, we're going to premiere Metallica's first ever video. And at that point, <clears throat> my only exposure to Metallica was uh, went on a uh, school f- overnight field trip to Natchez, Mississippi, to all the Civil War stuff. Mm-hmm. And my buddy Henry, his sister was like five or six years older. Well, we go to the mall on this field trip and buy cassettes. And Henry and I were sharing a bed. It was four of us in a room. And he was like, hey, man, I got some good stuff at the at the record store he said get your Walkman out I'll give you one tape and I'm going to put a tape in mine it was Slayer and Metallica it was Master of Puppets mm-hmm. and then Slayer I guess would have been like Rain and Blood yeah 
And I remember going, I'm not going to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. So flash forward to a couple of years, the one video, I couldn't go to sleep the rest of the night. It was so disturbing. You know, they bought the rights to that movie. Uh, yeah, the one Johnny they... get a gun or something. Oh gosh, I don't know. That sounds right, but, but I don't know. But I just remember being like, "This is scary as all get out," <laughs> but it's awesome. Yeah. You know? And so um, then you know I, that was obviously on Justice for All, and then I'm kind of like you we were talking earlier, like you can remember certain things. I remember exactly where I was when I heard Inner Sandman, and my cousin, she was a female. She was huge into Metallica in the 80s. And so she was like disgusted with the Black Album. I know. That is so interesting to talk to people that were Metallica fans before that. Mm -hmm. Because I became a Metallica fan because of the Black Album. Right. Now one was floating, or I mean, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Injustice for All was floating around. But the Black Album is why I fell in love with them. And then I got to enjoy their back catalog. But you, you had people that were fans before the Black Album, and it's like everybody got mad at Bob Rock, right. you know, for for making them do melodies, right. <laughs> you know, and actually produce an album. Right. You you want to look at a, a poorly produced album? Look at Injustice for All. You can't even hear Jason Newsted. If you it, of all the albums that I would rebuy, for the purpose of of having it remastered, or actually in this case remixed, Injustice for All. I want to hear the bass. We know they came out this week and said they're not going to do it. Oh my God. That's why Lars pisses me off. Right. That's him. Yeah. That yeah. is bullcrap. Because, you know, they, they've done Kill Em All and Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets. The Master of Puppets one that sounds really, really good. I have mm -hmm. it. And so and now it's time for Injustice for All, and he's saying they're not going to do it. Now you can go on. God, that is such garbage. You can go on YouTube though, and some people have mixed in bass. Mm -hmm. You know, with it, it yeah. sounds good. But yeah, I, I we were talking earlier. I got tickets today to see them, and it's be my. I saw them at Lollapalooza in '96, but it's been my first time to see them headlining. But is there a more annoying person, dude? I mean, what, you know, always <laughs> smacking on the gum, and you know. God, 96, so that was when they cut their hair, you know? <laughs> no, it was. It was the big deal because uh, it's, they had released Load, and I saw them here in New Orleans at UNO, outside of UNO Lake Front. It was really cool, right on Lake Pontchartrain. And it was, uh, let's see if I can remember, Screaming Trees, Waylon Jennings, and, you know, Jet Hetfield's a huge country music fan. Which is so odd. And so... That like he had that written into their rider basically that Waylon Jennings would do a few shows. Waylon Jennings, this is gonna date it. Rancid, yeah. Remember Rancid, the yeah. Sky Van, then Rage Against the Machine, Soundgarden, and Metallica. If I had to do a worst bands that I've heard live show, Soundgarden is gonna come in at number one or number two, which was really disappointing. But you know this was right when they were breaking up. Um, yeah, you know, in '96, but so I saw Soundgarden right before Chris Cornell killed himself. Did you see him in Tuscaloosa? Yeah, Tuscaloosa. Right, yeah, so I was there like three nights before for Def Leppard, and I was like, I want to come back and see Soundgarden. Yeah, so it was one of those shows, and I mean, not to take us totally off no. off base, but man, it was one of those shows that like it was solid because Chris Cornell can sing. Mm -hmm. You listen to his solo stuff, Higher Truth, and and the what's the one that he did in the acoustic orchestra kind of thing, whatever that one was called. The guy can sing, 
he was just a little bit off on that show. And I mean, we could tell, me and Joe, we, we went to that show, we kept on looking at each other and like, what is, what's going on? Like, something's not quite right. And what was it, two weeks later? It was less than two it, weeks. It was, it was done, you know? Yeah, because they did that and did Memphis in May. Yeah. And then, you know, they one or two shows after that. And so, same thing happened with the Stone Temple Pilots. I saw Scott, oh no, I'm sorry, it was Scott Weiland and the, the Wild Abouts mm-hmm. or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So we saw him at Bill Street Music Festival. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm beginning to think I've got this weird Midas touch, this like negative Midas, right? So like all I see these people and they end up, you know, dying yeah. or whatever. So we saw him and we, me and Joe kept on looking at each other and we were thinking like, this is not right. Like he's not, he's not with it today, mm-hmm. you know? And then very, I mean, I think in that, in that case it was like two months later, um... It was good. It was done, you know. I, sad, incredible voice. The thing though about Cornell's voice, and I've pointed this out to my wife. I think this is going to happen to Adele. Cornell's voice, even when he's hitting it just right, it has a certain kind of vulnerability, to where if it's a tad bit off, it's going to sound off key. Mm-hmm. And I, I tell my wife, I said that's going to happen to Adele. I mean, her voice is so unique, but it it kind of it kind of walks up to the edge sometimes of being, you know, a little too pitchy or, mm-hmm. or almost off key. And I was like, if she doesn't protect her voice, that's going to happen. And that's why I, I feel like when I saw Cornets, obviously they're playing Lollapalooza. They're probably fried, you know, mm-hmm. at that point. But yeah, uh, they were terrible. And, and I went to a Kid Rock concert in Memphis and Puddle of Mud opened. And they should have been called Puddle of Crap. It's so funny. You've mentioned so many concerts you've been to. I'm fairly confident we were at the same shows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Multiple times. I know. That's kind of funny. We uh, we, we were talking at dinner, probably four or five different big shows. And it's it's funny. We both... We both came to the conclusion that the loudest concert we've ever heard we were both at. That was uh, Kiss, Kiss. Skid Row... Kiss Ted Nugent Skid Row at the uh, uh, Coliseum in Jackson, Mississippi. It's a funny story. I was I was living in Oxford at the time, so it's, you know, three hour drive back, and uh, it was me and a couple of my buddies that I grew up with, <clears throat> and we were going to stop just north of Jackson and get some Crystal hamburgers for the ride back. And we go through the drive through. We can't hear the lady, and so <laughs> she keeps you know saying something, and my buddy John just goes. I'm sorry, ma'am. We're going to have to drive around because we've been to Kiss. <laughs> at, at the time, that was like, oh. That's normal. It's a good excuse. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we uh, drove around and got our hamburgers to, to for the ride back to Oxford. And then like, I couldn't hear. My ears were ringing for two to three days. It, it That was unreal. That was the last. And I was telling you earlier, like when Peter Chris was hitting, was it Love It Loud? Mm-hmm, I Love It Loud. When that, when that song hit, like, I felt it in my chest. Yeah. I mean, we were about, so we, I was telling you earlier, we got there about six hours before the doors opened. And we were there, it was me and my buddy Clark and our little white college caps that said Ole Miss and whatever his MSU or whatever. And then it was like 20 bikers, you know, in leather. <laughs> and we stood out there with them for hours. And this is the and Mississippi heat in July. It was hot. It was really hot. And so we ended up running up there. We got about 10 rows back, the equivalent of 10 rows because it was all pit stuff. So do you remember this at the Kiss show? So beforehand, you know, everybody gets a little rowdy. I mean, it was packed in that Coliseum. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, like, some girl gets on her boyfriend's shoulders, 
right? Mm-hmm. You, you'll have to stop me if I can't say this on, on the podcast. So she gets on her boyfriend's shoulders, and I mean, it would 14.5 seconds later, somebody goes, show your... You know, mm-hmm. they, they start chanting stuff, and of course, like, the girl's like, no, I can't do that. No, this is not appropriate. And then, like, of course, she ends up, like, right. you know, lifting her shirt, right? And so that happens, and then some other, you know, girl gets on her boyfriend's shoulders, and they do it. And so that happens three or four times, you know. I don't know if you... But, I mean, I was in the midst of that. I was no, in the I, pit I remember area. that, yeah. Well, then all that happens, and then this one guy puts his, she had to have been three or four years old, little girl, on his shoulders, and she stood up straight, and she had her face painted like Gene Simmons the Demon, and she put up her her little you know devil horns like mm-hmm. uh, Ronnie James Dio, mm-hmm. and just held him up in the sky, just like a V, held him up in the sky, and he rotated her around. And so, like, to have such an aggressive, like, the audience was getting aggressive. Show your, you know, Mm -hmm. just kind of chanting that. And then to have her stand on his shoulders, it was the sweetest collective, aww. (laughs) I mean, I'm talking, like, 8,000 people went, aww. (laughs) You know, in, like, 10 seconds ago, we were we were chanting for, right. you know, like carnal knowledge, right? Right. <laughs> so, I will never forget that. Of all the moments I've had, I've probably been to four or 500 shows, and that is one of the top moments that stuck out, is that, that little girl who got on her dad's shoulders, I assume, and did the little devil horns and, and spun around. The yin to the yang. <laughs> That's man. right. That's right. So, uh, Kyle <clears throat> is a fellow podcaster. And is getting ready to. Um, y'all have several episodes when recorded. We're close. Well, why don't you tell everybody the name and what what the what the podcast is going to be about? Absolutely. So we're the Mad Madrigals. So you can find us at uh, www.madmadrigals.com. M a d r i g a l s dot com. And so we talk about music. So I've mentioned Joe a couple of times. Uh, my buddy Joe and me. We talk about music, we talk about the meaning of life, we talk about finding fulfillment, we talk about drinking beer, we talk about a number of things that are really similar to what y'all talk about, uh, at least where we cross paths with mm-hmm. music. So I hope y'all enjoy it. Um, we're, maybe this is going to be the kick in the pants for us to finally put it out there. You know, We've got about um, 10 or 15 or so episodes recorded, and they're kind of we got them backlogged, and we're ready to put them out there. We just haven't done it yet because I like to tweak the knobs a little bit and, and get everything uh, just so. And so, uh, yeah, so check us out at madmadrigals.com. You can probably find us on iTunes or wherever we list our list our, uh, our podcast, you can find us. So I think you'll enjoy it. It'll yeah. be fun. We're funny. We're pretty funny guys. We're pretty smart. We, we talk about some intellectual stuff, but we also have enough dumb humor that I think we can appeal to most everybody, you know? Yeah, Kyle takes the uh, complete opposite approach to podcasting that Chris and I do. He brought all of his podcast equipment, uh, a lot of it a lot of it here, and uh, we're getting ready to record this one, and I pull out my little Zoom H2, and he's like, where's my microphone? It's kind of sad. I mean, I, it's, uh, I mean, just looking at my stuff, I've got about $600 worth of crap sitting on the table here, and we just can't even use it. <laughs> right. <laughs> But uh, anyway, so check that out. Uh, Kyle is a, a very interesting, uh, very interesting 
guy and his podcast is going to be uh, it's going to be eclectic, kind of like uh, we like to say our podcast is. We like to say we cover anything from Johnny Cash to Megadeth. So uh, you know, a little bit of everything, and that's what I think their um, podcast is going to be. So let's get to the main event. Uh, like I said, Kyle was a last minute addition to this uh, concert. I think Monday afternoon is when he confirmed that he was going to be able to come to it with me. Uh, it was at the Orpheum Theater in New Orleans, and um, I got to tell you, Kyle, I was very impressed with the Orpheum. Uh, nice little small theater. What do you think? Maybe fifteen hundred people. Yeah. Fifteen hundred seats. God. Well, fifteen hundred seats, but it wasn't packed, no. so maybe a thousand. Yeah. Maybe even less than a thousand. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it was it was a theater that was heavily damaged uh, during. Uh, Katrina, mm-hmm. and so they they've refurbished it. And if you're familiar with New Orleans, it's basically across the street from the Roosevelt Roosevelt Hotel. It's about three four blocks from Bourbon Street, I would say, mm-hmm. based on our cab ride. But uh, very nice little small intimate venue. Now Kyle is not a big Oasis fan. Um, I am, and I'm in, and as much of I'm as much of a Noel Gallagher fan as I am. An Oasis fan. Uh, like if you listen to our earlier podcast at the end of the year, I had his latest album as my album of the year, and then the album that came before that, Chasing Yesterday, is one of my favorite albums of the last ten years. So um, while the first two Noel Gallagher albums were basically extensions of where Oasis was going on their last few albums, this album is completely different. It's a lot more electronic, I would say which I was, and I've talked about on this podcast, I was very, very hesitant when I heard that, but Noel said, if people will just, if you'll just give it a chance and not judge it versus how Oasis sounded, you're going to like it. And I love it. Um, Chris, you know, my, uh, my normal podcast partner, uh, after I listed it as number one, he went back and listened to it, and he, he likes the first two Oasis albums, and then he drops off. He said if he had to redo his top 10, it probably would have made his top 10. So anyway, I love the album. If you follow me on Twitter or Facebook, I have, you know, I've talked that album up for the last three or four months. But anyway, so Kyle is not a, like I said, not a big Oasis fan. Kyle, why don't you tell everybody your favorite three Oasis songs? So, (laughs) well, I mean, I've got to say Wonderwall. And then after Wonderwall, I would say it was those other two. You know, it's those other two. So when you when you text me on Monday and you said, "Hey man, would you like to go to go see Noel Gallagher?" I was like, "I knew who you were talking about." Like it wasn't a question mm-hmm. as as to who we were about to go see, and I was gonna say yes because it was you asking me, mm-hmm. and because it was live music. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't matter. The everything else you said after that was sort of irrelevant, and so I said, "Jerry, I'll you know I'll go." And, but at the same time, you know, you said, you know, you're texting me back and forth like, hey, let's do a podcast. I was like, that's a great idea. I'd love, to, you know, we've talked about this before. We'll do a Pink Floyd one. Um, and so and you said, yeah, we'll talk about our love for Oasis. And I was like, well, that's going to get a little awkward because uh, I'll bring a different perspective to the table. I don't love Oasis. And in fact, had you asked me to talk about Oasis, the only thing I could really name as a song was Wonderwall. And if you said, can, well, can you just tell me, the, I know you can't name a second song, but just tell me anything else you can think of. And I'll say, well, Noel Gallagher is sort of a jerk, <laughs> you know? And so that, that's the way that I feel about Oasis. Having said that, I enjoyed tonight. I enjoyed tonight. 
yeah, it was it was it was really good. We'll get to that in a second. It's like I was telling you when we were, when we were there. You know, it's probably a thousand people there. Mm-hmm. Now, nine hundred ninety eight of them were diehard fans. Uh, and there was me. Yeah, and there, was, <laughs> there was Kyle who was waiting on Wonderwall. <laughs> but it's so their trajectory in America is so askew from their trajectory in the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, definitely maybe came out, which you're you're not familiar with that. It had uh, Live Forever and Supersonic on it. Two huge songs. I heard that first on U92 uh, when I was a freshman. And then my buddy Shannon had the album, and then I just fell in love with it. And so then What's the Story, Morning Glory, comes out. You know, I still think it's the all-time greatest selling album in England. Mm-hmm. And Noel has, you know, the, the tax structure in England is a lot worse than it is in America. At least at that time it was. And, you know, he's like, we floated the government for about three years uh, <laughs> based on an album. And so they just blew up, and they were so big internationally and so big in Europe, and they were huge in America. I don't know if you remember or not, they played on, maybe it was the MTV Awards, and I don't think Liam, I I think Noel has grown on America, but I don't think Liam at the time liked it. And so they play... Champagne Supernova, which was one of their bigger. Oh, I should. That would have been my yeah. second one I named. Uh, they didn't play that tonight. No, he didn't. He didn't okay. play that tonight. So they play Champagne Supernova, and it's clear. It's clear they're just hammered. Noel just starts. I mean, not Noel. Liam just starts blowing snot out of his nose on live television and letting it dangle. <laughs> and he has a beer, and he throws the beer up on stage, you know, and it crashes, and it, and it, you know, the beer bottle breaks, and so. Their next album was going to be Be Here Now, and it had all this hype. And Noel, I think he said he doesn't even remember making it. He's like, the cocaine was completely out of control. (laughs) And it was, that album was just such a dud. You know, America's pick is finicky. You know, we got to have a hit every time. And so that album just crashes and burns, but then they just continue to explode around the world. You know, they're selling out 50,000-seat soccer stadiums like it's, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's a small crowd for them. And so, you know, they've always had that complicated relationship, and I think it was in 2009 when I think I think they were in France, and Noel's like, I can't do this anymore. Uh, and if you listen to Oasis, Noel is the reason Oasis was a good band. Principal songwriter, you know, he sang one or two songs on every album, they were always some of my favorite songs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while he's... Liam, I think, is a brat. Noel, I think, has this weird sense of... British kind of sense of humor that sometimes translates a little cockier than what he gets portrayed. <laughs> but right. to give you an example, I was reading an article where he said... Um, somebody asked him about, I guess, like album sales and talent. And he goes, I mean, you can't equip... He's like, there's no equivalency between talent and album sales. Just look at Phil Collins. Which, you know... <laughs> which is... Uh, oh, God. Which is hysterical. So, with that said, um, what, were, what were your impressions tonight? So, again, coming in not as a fan and having the, the fact that you just named the second song I could have possibly known, which was Champagne Supernova, which I actually do remember from mm-hmm. high school. Um... I, so they came in big. Like, it was a big sound. You look across the stage, what was it? 
eight or nine people. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, they had a three a three piece brass. Yeah, the scissor, the scissor player, the scissor. That man, that girl, she was so funny. I mean, I don't even know what she added to the thing other than every once in a while she'd sing a little bit. And the same, the girl from France, the one yeah. that just sang. I think she just sang three songs, and one song she just kind of made a clicking uh-huh. sound. You know. It's like, how do you afford to bring all these people on tour to just do this one little thing, you know? He's got that Oasis money. Uh, clearly so, yeah, clearly. And so, but, yeah, so when they first came out, I think they came out strong, and it was a big sound. Like, it filled everything. Mm-hmm. It didn't sound like a four-piece band. Mm-hmm. It sounded like a full, I mean, they had several-part harmonies, and, again, they had the brass instruments. Which I appreciated. I know that they probably do that everywhere, but the fact that we're in New Orleans, it felt special to me that they were doing that. How you funny know? was it when he forgot one of the brass players' names? Oh my gosh! So he's he's that inter- was that kind of jerkish British yeah. thing. I don't know what's so going he was on. he was introducing the uh, the three brass players, and he got the first two right, and he goes. The guy in the middle over there, he's new. He turns to the crowd. He goes, this is going to be really embarrassing because I don't know his name. And he's like, what's your name? And he's like, Rob. Rob. And he goes, got Rob. <laughs> you know. But anyway, uh, anyway, so go, go back to your So I thought, I thought the first five or six songs were really strong. They, they really, they, they filled the whole room. And be, because it was new to me, it was fresh. Mm-hmm. You know, so I thought it was good. And then for the next ten or so songs, they sounded a lot like the last six, it, but they were less intense because they had less people on stage. Mm-hmm. You know, people kind of cycle in and out. And I got to be honest with you, they all sort of sounded the same to me. I enjoyed them all, but they I couldn't differentiate between each one of them because it had the same like verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Every time he got to right. a chorus, a little bit of high pitch, a little bit of falsetto. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of drove back down into the verse again. Which is interesting that you say that because basically you say that it dropped off when they got to the Oasis part. Yeah, those were, um, I, you know, it. Whenever they were playing the Oasis songs, for the most part, it was like a four-piece band. That's or, right. They, yeah, they, it was very stripped down. Um, they played a little by little off of a Heathen Chemistry, one of my top five favorite. Um, uh, Oasis song. That was one of the ones where I was singing at the top of my lungs. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, for me, it didn't let up. I thought it was, I thought it was wide open the whole time. Um, the the only thing I would have done there there's one or two songs off the new. I love the new album, but there's one, there's only one or two that don't do it for me. And they played those where I thought there were a couple other songs that they could have played off that album. But uh, it was really cool. The Oasis songs, he stayed away from the hits except for Wonderwall and uh, Don't Look Back in Anger. Played Half the World Away, which is a B-side. Mm-hmm. Uh, Go Let It Out was off of uh, Standing on the Shoulders of Giants, which that album was a flop too. But it was really cool because <clears throat> as a fan, you know, I, like if I went to see, if, go see the Black Crows, if they never play Hard to Handle again or She Talks to Angels, I'm perfectly fine with Right. Because you're a fan. Right. And so here you have Noel Gallagher who has all of these songs that I want to hear. And Oasis was very famous for not putting great songs on albums. What I mean by that is their B-sides are as popular in Europe as some of their hits. Mm-hmm. And so they put out an album called The Master Plan that's nothing but B-sides that by itself is probably their third greatest album. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is it just blows my mind that they didn't put some of those songs on 
So, yeah, I could see how you thought it got a little muddled there uh, in the um, middle. One of the things I thought was interesting was um, Noel played a decent amount, I thought, of lead, uh, uh, soloing mm. on some of the stuff. Gim Archer, I think that's how you say his name. It's G-E-M, and he referred to him as Gim tonight. So he was, I think, the longest-tenured Oasis member outside of the Gallagher brothers. But he's re, he's new to the band. But anyway, I thought it was a phenomenal, phenomenal concert. Now, it was interesting when they played Wonderwall, they had to tune it down, and he changed the arrangement up, I guess. Did mm-hmm. you notice that? Yeah, it felt different. Yeah, yeah. you know, because he didn't have his nasally brother... Uh, right. <laughs> uh, so, uh, we were. I what was, is it about brothers and bands? Like Black Crows can't get it together. I mean, I feel like if you're a brother in a band, you're just gonna break up. Well, one did day. you did you go to the Oasis Black Crows tour? No, I saw Black Crows in Mud Island, and they, they played. They may have an opener, but that was. Did you see them with Drive by Truckers up in there? I don't know. I don't like remember 05, that. Five oh six. No, it was a little bit later than that. It was kind of their last to do right before they just fully just okay. disbanded. So, and I think it was 2001 after the Crows put out um, Lions, they went on a tour called the Brotherly Love Tour in America. And it was them, Oasis, and you remember the band Space Hog? Mm, it sounds familiar. But... Had a song called In the Meantime. Anyway, they're brothers. All right, this gets interesting. <laughs> so it's three bands with brothers obviously Oasis and the Black Crows have brothers that hate one another mm-hmm. you know I think Rich hasn't spoken to Chris in like five years uh, Noel says he hasn't I don't think Noel's spoken to Liam since he walked off stage in like 2009 which I think has got to be really weird if there's ever a family get together God yeah you gotta imagine so Kate Hudson marries Chris Robinson mm-hmm. divorces Chris Robinson and then I think she has a child with the lead singer of Space Hall Oh, wow. Which is interesting. But getting back to that tour, Rich Robinson says the best tour they've ever, that it's the most fun they've ever had. He said that they just hit it off and became uh, good friends. He, he and Noel still hmm. talk today. Quick thing, you're, are you a fan of the North Mississippi All-Stars? Yeah, yeah. Do you know Noel played on their album Polaris? No. Did you know that? No idea. So obviously, Noel probably has a deep respect for... Um, that kind of music, you know, mm-hmm. blues and stuff like that. And so he got to be good friends with Luther and Cody. And so they, uh, so I don't forget how it, how it happened, but he recorded some tracks and they were like, man, we don't really have the money to to pay you, you know, which means like, I don't worry about it. Yeah. So yeah, uh, Noel is actually singing backup. Uh, wow. It's, it, it just continues to amaze me. You know, you come from Mississippi, right? Mm-hmm. And we're not known for a lot. Like, you know, we got some good food, and we basically caused most of the cardiovascular deaths in the nation, right? <laughs> but I mean, other than that, like, what else did we give them? What else did we give the world? Blues music. It is amazing to me when I hear Robert Plant of Led Zeppelin talking about his influences coming from the Mississippi Delta. And, you know, I mean, he moved to Austin, Texas for a while, and he would pop up in Clarksdale, Mississippi at a hole in the wall place and play stuff, and it wouldn't be Led Zeppelin stuff. He has a love for music. Pink Floyd got their name from... Um, Is it Floyd Anderson? Floyd Anderson and Pink Council. Blues people, not necessarily from Mississippi, but just 
it's amazing to me the influence that that we've had on music. Elvis Presley, Bo, our friend Bo is yeah. third cousins with Elvis. You know, <laughs> how well, cool is that? <laughs> and then Jimmy Rogers, the father of country from, music from, from Meridian, from where you're from. Yeah. Quick story about Robert Plant. Uh, I grew up in a little town called Sumner, which is south of Clarksdale, which if you look in the Mississippi Delta, it's right in the heart, it's right in the middle of everything. And there's a small town called Tutwiler that's like five miles away. Well, supposedly, I, I mean, I just know of this guy because I hear people talk about his name was Sonny Boy Williamson, supposedly the best blues harmonica player of all time. He's playing in England in like the mid-60s. Robert Plant gets backstage and steals one of his harmonicas. Flash forward to like 19. Whenever they went on that tour with the Walking in Clarksdale album, mm-hmm. um, he drives down to Tutwiler, Mississippi, which is probably 300 people. He sits on Sonny Boy Williamson's grave and plays his harmonica to him that he stole. Oh, wow. And 30 something, yeah, it, and it's just amazing. Uh, there's a place called the Dockery Plantation. Are you familiar with that? Mm, no. Out, it's outside of um, outside of Cleveland, Mississippi, and it was a uh, it was a big big plantation, big sharecropper uh, operation. At one point, I may have one or two of these mixed up. At one point, Robert Johnson, Sun House, oh, who are the other two? I can't remember the other two. Basically, four of the greatest blues players of all time all living on that plantation at one time. And now they have opened it up and they have concerts. Tedeschi Trucks played there uh, about oh, a year ago. yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's amazing the uh, the music that, that has come from this area. Hey, Jimmy Buffett's from Mississippi, mm-hmm. you know? Um, anyway, back to, uh, to Noel. Um, I thought it was amazing. I thought... Uh, the, the, the closer, because you knew Wonderwall, and I kind of knew what the set list was going to be because they've rotated three or four songs out, um, but haven't. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty much been the same. So they closed with the Beatles, All You Need Is Love, and they got ready to play it, and I looked at Kyle, and I said, you're going to know this song too, and you're like, is it Wonderwall again? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, they're huge, uh, obviously huge Beatles fans. You know, Noel always said that he wanted Oasis to sound like a cross between the Stone Roses and the Beatles, and for a while, I think he achieved that dream, and then, uh, you know, things kind of went south for an album or two, but I was commenting to you when we left, you said you thought it was a tad bit loud, I thought it was, I thought it was almost perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a very low tolerance for my ears hurting when I leave a place, mm -hmm. and so I'll take earplugs in anywhere. Won't you plug your your favorite earplug? What was it, Eargasms? Eargasms. Yeah, 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 Eargasms. So yeah, I mean, if you're going to spend like what twenty bucks on a, a set of earplugs, I've tried several. I've spent probably sixty or eighty bucks on the, on the quote unquote nice earplugs, you mm-hmm. know. And I, I keep heroes, you know, like I buy a fifty a fifty pair little jug of heroes off of Amazon to have because they're easy to you know easy to carry around and that sort of thing. So I have those with me, but yeah, I take my eargasms. Those are the ones. There's a couple other pairs that I bought. And I don't remember the names of them, but the eargasms they just worked. They they lowered they they turned the sound down for me, but you you kept. I felt like they kept the the frequencies at kind of the right the right place or whatever. Um, and it's amazing. Like I don't know. Like I just that was a little bit too loud for me tonight. I just I I have I just don't want to hear 
I don't want to have any ringing when I come back to my hotel room, you know? And usually I've been drinking a little bit, and usually I'll take a couple ibuprofen or something, thins the blood, makes it... I mean, there's some studies that support this. It actually causes you to have more ringing in your ears after you've taken ibuprofen or something like a blood thinner before you go to a concert. Well, can aspirin cause tinnitus? Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, folks, two pharmacist nerds here. I know. Uh, <laughs> getting off track with the chemistry there. But anyway, um, I had a good time. Um, I had a great time. Um, I had a great time, but I don't think I'll listen to the album until the next time you try to make me go to a show again. <laughs> I mean, I just, I enjoyed it. I, I love live music, and I thought they put on a great show. I'm just still not a fan, you yeah, know? That's why they make chocolate vanilla ice cream. That's right. So, as we get ready to, to wind this down, we had said we would shoot for 20 or 30 minutes, and we're at 51. So uh, <laughs> Terrible. I um, talk too much. Is there anything new you're listening to? Or Gosh. new to you? New to me. Hmm. I mean, so one thing, and I mentioned this to you earlier, like I really like Pink Floyd, and I try to find influences of Pink Floyd or people that are influenced by Pink Floyd. And the post-rock movement that's coming out of Norway, so this is really esoteric. This is something that's not, you know, you wouldn't find it on a radio station anywhere. But um, there's a band called Airbag. They're not really new to me, but, but everything they do I just really love. Uh, they're called Airbag, and they if you like Pink Floyd Animals, you'll like Airbag. There's just something that Bjorn Reese, who's the, uh, the guitarist, the lead guitarist, he has a website called GilmoreRich.com, and if you're a, a, uh, a guitarist and you appreciate understanding um, you know, the settings that David Gilmore uses or just getting that Pink Floyd kind of sound... He really nerds out on that sort of stuff. So it's a great guitar geek site. And so I actually found out about his band, Airbag, through that website. And so um, God, I highly recommend checking them out. That's I, I, I don't want to call that the newest thing I'm listening to, but it's certainly the most relevant thing that I'm listening to. Why don't you tell everybody where they got the name of their band? God, so I know. we've God, we talked about this too. So... When you're a Pink Floyd fan, you try to find other things that like you know that sound kind of like Pink Floyd, and that quite frankly, there's nothing like Pink Floyd. You know, you can call them prog, and then when you dig into the prog genre, you get into Yes and Kansas and Genesis, and none of that is quite Pink Floyd. It's all prog, but it's not Pink Floyd. And so, the other bands you might hear about is like Radiohead, right? I have tried to listen to Radiohead's OK Computer at least four or five times, and I've given it, like, the good college try, about three or four years apart each time that I've done it, and I just don't like it. But they got their name from from a song off that album called Airbag. And so even when I found that out, I tried to listen to them again, and I still don't like them. And, you know, I mentioned to you earlier, we're moving to Chicago for the summer, and Air, uh, uh, Radiohead is playing in Chicago. I want to go see them, even though I don't like them, because I want to like them. I just, I want to understand what it is people that get about that, and I just don't get it. <laughs> Have you ever listened to their second album, The Bends? I've listened to The Bends, and what is it, Pablo Honey? Yeah. Pablo Honey had Creep. Creep, like, everybody loves Creep, even if you don't love Air... Uh, except the band, they except, hate it. That's right, that's right. That's, that's, that tends to be the way that it is. You know, you get a hit song, you can't stand playing it. Yeah, like I've heard that Brett Michaels hates Talk Dirty to Me. He should. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, um, Kyle, this has been fun. It's been easy. It's been great, yeah. Um, 
we're going to have Kyle on in the future, we're going to sit down and we maybe do a one or two parter on uh, Pink Floyd. I think we could both uh, uh, talk about that one, talk about that band ad nauseum. And, uh, we need to do Pink Floyd and Guns N' Roses. Yeah. That, well, I can contribute those two things to this podcast. <laughs> well, um, like I said, his uh, podcast is called Mad Madricals. Hopefully, by the time we post this, maybe they'll have it live. Uh, if you uh, if you like like the Adam Carolla show and stuff like that, I think you're going to enjoy it. It's not all music; it's part music, uh, part life, part humor, part uh, pondering the meaning of life. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly so, right. Uh, and follow us on Twitter at Digital Killed on Instagram. Follow us on Facebook. Subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. And like I said earlier, uh, leave us a, a Facebook review or an iTunes review. And if you leave an iTunes review, screenshot it, put it on the Facebook page, and um, Chris and I will make it worth your time. Really appreciate everybody that's been listening to us. We have a lot of new listeners uh, from all over the world, and uh, we really appreciate it. And like I said, leave us a review. We'll send you something in the mail. Um, until next time, hope everybody has a good week.